This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by Black Belt CBD. If you're into CBD products or you want to try CBD products for the very first time, please visit blackbeltcbdproducts.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST25. You'll get 25% off. This is more geared towards your athlete, but it works for your everyday blue-collar worker or anyone who has aches and pains for that matter. You do not smoke this. You do not ingest this. This is strictly roll-ons, rub-ons, and lotions. Very low THC, less than 1%, so you will not get high. And it does work, trust me. So visit blackbeltcbdproducts.com. If you're into nerd culture or you like sports memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. This is a Canadian company based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. So to all you American listeners, everything you see there is in Canadian funds. If you use promo code THEPODCAST20, you'll get 20% off. They update daily, so there's no excuse for not to visit them every day. Like I said, they got sports memorabilia, signed baseball, signed hockey pucks. They got comic books. They got signed wrestling memorabilia. Literally anything that a nerd needs or wants is there. And speaking of nerds and video games, if you like to read books based off of video games, please visit bossfightbooks.com today for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles based on NBA Jam, Final Fantasy, Super Mario, all the good old oldies as they say, the classics, and they got some new ones sprinkled in there too. So please visit bossfightbooks.com. And the most important thing you could do is to please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So, you can find the work of this week's guest on such outlets as MMA News, Line Movement, and Cage Side Press. He was the senior MMA news editor at The Score and has worked for TV networks like City TV, Discovery Channel, and TSN. You can also watch his interviews with pretty much every fighter on the planet on his YouTube channel, and he does commentary for Rise Fighting Championship. One of, if not the best MMA journalists around, James Lynch. What an intro. Thanks so much for having me, man. That was awesome. Not a problem. Thank you. Well, you know what? It goes all downhill from there, so I'm glad I started off on a high note. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You've warned me. There you go. So what's up, my friend? What's going on during these days of so-called uh, COVID era? 
Just keeping busy, man. I haven't missed a beat. Uh, COVID really had no impact on me in terms of work because a lot of what I do is remote anyway. So right. I was kind of ahead of the curve. You know, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to, you know, record video and do stuff remotely. But I've been doing this for years. So it's been, uh, yeah, if anything, I've just been busier than ever. But uh, definitely thankful for the work I have. I love uh, love keeping busy and love what I do, man. I'm really, really lucky and grateful to be doing this as a full-time job. That's all. Well, speaking of full-time job, when did you get into MMA and then when did you get into sports journalism or MMA journalism? All right. Well, I, uh, my journey started way back in 2008. Uh, so basically, I'd finished up college. I did university and college. I got a communications degree uh, in Ottawa. Well, you, you're from Toronto. You know every, everywhere uh, that I'm probably going to be talking about here. But uh, I went to Carleton University, did a communications degree, minor in poli-sci. Then went to Algonquin College for two years, did a television broadcasting diploma program, finished that. Once I finished there, moved to Toronto. I was living in Ottawa at the time. I'm originally from uh, British Columbia okay. and uh, ended, up, ended up going to school in Ottawa. And uh, I was going to move back home after. After college, ended up uh, getting an internship at The Score on the TV side, and uh, that's how I ended up moving to Toronto. From there, I went to Fight Network. I worked there for about four years, and that's okay. where I really got uh, into MMA. I mean, I was okay. I was a fan of MMA in, when I was going to university. I remember watching The Ultimate Fighter, and that was kind of like, you know, what kind of got me into MMA was watching that show. And even prior to that, I was a pro wrestling fan. Back in the day, we're talking during the Attitude Era, nice. that's really when I was like a huge fan. So I think that love of pro wrestling kind of came back with watching The Ultimate Fighter. You have all these interesting characters, right. you like four Griffin and Chris Levin and all these guys, right? So that's what sort of caught my eye. And at the time I was going to school, I wanted to be a hockey journalist, hockey reporter, oh. broadcaster, you name it. So okay. that's where, uh, you know, that, that was the goal initially. And then once I became an MMA fan, I kind of realized that this might be a good outlet for me because there's not a lot of people at the time covering the sport. This was back in, like I said, 2008. Right. So once I got to Fight Network, I really got to learn the ropes over there in terms of, you know, uh, what happens behind the scenes and, you know, all this different stuff. I started as an editor there. I ended up working my way up to being sort of like a producer, voiceover guy, uh, Mm -hmm. doing a bit of reporting as well. And then from there, I left Fight Network uh, in about, I think it was like 2011, maybe 2010, uh, just because I, I needed to make more money. You know how it is in Toronto. I was living there at the time, <laughs> living right downtown. Uh, the, the mortgage is not going to get paid when you're making not so great money. Of so I ended up uh, moving over to TSN and I worked okay. there for about a year. And uh, I was doing sort of MMA stuff on the side because I didn't want to give it up. I was doing a lot of really cool stuff at Fight Network. I loved what I was doing, but I had to sort mm -hmm. of get the bills paid and, and start to save some money because I really wasn't saving any money after the sure. period I was working at Fight Network. So, yeah, freelance on the side and then, uh, you know, ended up leaving TSN, going to Discovery Channel, worked there, worked at uh, Rogers uh, Media as well with City TV, did that. And then I always did the MMA stuff on the side. And I think it was about 2013, 2014, I got into doing video interviews. And uh, that was really pivotal for me because I always wanted to be on camera. Camera. Oh. Um, a lot of people were doing podcasts. I had an audio podcast at the time, and I was yeah. thinking, you know what, this is great, but I really want to be on camera. And plus, the, the market's already saturated with just regular audio podcasts. So I think at the time I started doing video interviews, there was only a few other people who were sort of doing them. Uh, Karen Bryant was one, mm. and Frank Trigg. Frank Trigg was doing some for a website that I actually ended up working for called MMA Oddsbreaker. And I didn't want to step on Frank's toes at all and let him do the UFC interviews. So I started interviewing a lot of prospects because I noticed a lot of them were not getting video interviews. They were getting, you know, maybe a write-up or, you know, on an audio podcast, but I was like, it would be cool if you could see these people on camera. So I really went hard to the paint. Uh, you know, once uh, I found an outlet that was going to pay me to do interviews, um, and shout out to MMA Oddsbreaker, because that's where I, I basically started doing freelance stuff. Yeah. Uh, through them, um, I was able to, you know, sort of realize that, hey, this is something I can do on the side, and it's something I can work on. So, uh, yeah, I worked for them for, for years, and then I ended up joining Flow Combat after that, and I was working, right. you know, my full-time job at Rogers, doing this all on the side. And then fast forward to October of 2017, 
2016, I was going to become a dad for the first time and I couldn't do both, right? I had to pick and choose. Am I going to still keep the full-time job or am I going to give up MMA? And I just couldn't see myself getting out of this MMA thing because it was going very well. So I kind of added up the finances and I was like, you know what? If I get on with a few more outlets, I bet I could do this full-time and not because initially I think the plan always when I was freelancing was I got to get on full-time somewhere with one outlet. That was sort of how most people make their living is getting on with one outlet. Well, that wasn't happening. I mean, you know, jobs in the industry full-time are very rare. So I just sort of created my own path, which was I'll just work for a bunch of different outlets. So I ended up doing that. Uh, got, uh, ended up, like I said, quitting my job at Rogers. It was a good job. It was financially good. I had benefits. I mean, it was, it was tough to leave that, but I just liked the fact that I could kind of control my own destiny here with, with mm. doing the freelance stuff. So I ended up working for, uh, along with MMA Oddsbreaker and Flow Combat, I was working for Fansided. I worked for SureDog. I worked for Fightful, a bunch of other wow. different sites, yeah. uh, to basically make up what will be, would be like a full-time salary. Then fast forward to May of 2019. Mm-hmm. score comes out of nowhere and they're like hey we want to uh, get you know we're looking to hire a senior MMA news editor to kind of front up our, our MMA coverage and I said I said okay that's great but I gotta let you guys know right off the bat like I can't move because I, I the part I sort of left out there was that I ended up moving back to Vancouver because right. you know being a dad I wanted to be close to my family all my family's here and I hadn't been Makes back sense. I think full-time since um since 2000 and uh, since, since basically leaving high school, I haven't oh, wow. been back here like okay. full time. So, so anyways, I know I got a long winded story, but it will end. No, here in I a love second. it. Um, so, so, so basically, um, so yeah, so I moved back to Vancouver in, in 2018 and uh, end of 2018. And I told them like, look, I can't move. And they're like, Oh, it's fine. You can work remotely. I said, okay, perfect. I said, well, let's Good start enough. talking. So uh, they basically came to me with a full-time offer. And mm. you know, as, as I'm sure, you know, full-time opportunities in MMA are very rare. So I was like, even though I love what's <laughs> going on in freelance, it would be great to get some financial security. So, so ended up taking the job and ended up working there for about a year and a bit. And uh, I was going to every pay-per-view for the most part that was in North America. I covered a lot nice. of events. It was basically every month I was on the road uh, covering UFC events. The first one I did was the Cejudo and Marlon Moraes card, uh, UFC 236, I think it was, in Chicago. And then the last one I ended up doing for them was in December, the Colby Covington and Kumar Usun card. So okay. it's a really busy 2019. I was on the road a lot. It was good. I loved it. I mean, the travel was a bit much. I mean, you know, being away from home that much was, was a little tough because that's a week out of basically every month that I was away because right. fight week's not just one day. It's, you know, it's three or four days exactly. throughout the week. So <laughs> ended up doing that. Um, COVID hit. And then, um, you know, I thought everything was okay. And then I don't know where I get an email in the morning saying, Hey, we're getting rid of your position and, oh, uh, you're, you're free to go. Yeah. And, um, and my biggest concern from that honestly was, well, first off, I was a bit blindsided cause I didn't, I didn't have any clue. Everything seemed to be oh, fine. Okay. And then and then two, um, I was worried about, I signed a non-compete. So I was worried that had I got let go, was my non-compete going to still be there? Because I was worried, like, can I at least get work in this field if I'm not going to be working here right. anymore? Luckily, they, they waived that okay, and all cool. that. And then literally that day, I started getting other work. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't miss a beat. I actually had interviews <laughs> scheduled that day that I ended up still doing just because I'm like, I don't want to like, I, I don't want to take any time off. I want to sure. hit the ground running. So I went back to freelance back in July and I'll be honest, I was a little bit worried. I didn't know what the landscape was going to look like then. I basically been away from freelance for about a year and a bit. So I wasn't sure what my plate was going to look like. I didn't right. know how many opportunities were going to be out there. And I can honestly say this, and this is why I told you at the top, I'm very grateful and very, very <laughs> thankful for, for, you know, doing this full time. I've never been busier than ever. I have so many opportunities. I have way more opportunities now than I did back when I started with the score and uh, honestly like it's to the point now where I'm having to turn down work because that's how busy I am so that's a long-winded answer to your question but I think I gave you a good idea of where I'm at right now in my career no that's crazy and again that's what makes you like 
like I said off the top, it's not just a gimmick. It is. You are one of the the best North American MMA journalists out there. Like you know, you know what I mean. Like everyone thinks of the uh, aerials of the world, and you got the Okamoto's and all those people, right? But then you're literally right there behind them, and it shows because you you work hard. But what I wanted to know, you 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 said you got to travel with uh, working with the score, but before that, you said you started interviewing people. W- how did you do that? Did you go to them on your own dime? Did you wait for them to come to Toronto? No, so sorry, I should have clarified. So, so initially, when um, well, yeah, there's a couple of things I kind of left out of, of, out of that because I wanted to give you kind of the Coles notes. So, a couple of things. So, first off, when I was working at TSN, when I left the Fight Network, I actually started doing some writing for them for free because they they came to me and they're like, "Hey, I know one of the web guys there. He's like, hey, I know you uh, you used to work at Fight Network. Do you want to contribute to our website?" I said, "I'd love to, man, to have right. that platform." Now, keep in mind, this was before TSN got the UFC rights, so this was like they really weren't covering MMA much at all. Sportsnet still had the TV rights, so I was basically doing some writing. Now, through that, I was able to actually cover my first UFC event, which ended up being, get this, I mean, you'll, you'll know this being from Toronto, <laughs> was Jones and Gustafson won. I was cage side for that fight. Wow. That's the first UFC event I ever covered. Totally didn't deserve it at the time. Wow. I mean, I had, a, obviously, a couple of years' experience working at Fight Network, but sure. to be cage side for that fight was, was unreal. So I I'd started covering events um, through TSN, and okay. then eventually when I moved over to Rogers for my day job, they wouldn't let me freelance for TSN anymore. Obviously, they're rival networks. So I actually, when I worked at Rogers, I ended up freelancing for Sportsnet. I didn't get paid anything, but the deal I kind of had with them was, look, I'll contribute to you guys for free if I can use you guys to go cover events on my own dime. And that's another thing I left out is that basically all the money I was making on the side from freelancing while I had my day job was going towards paying to go cover UFC events. Like a lot of people don't know this, but unless you work for a big outlet, you're probably going to have to pay your own way to cover events. And I didn't look at it as like, I'm going to lose money. I looked at it as an investment because if Mm. I'm on the front lines getting to cover fights and getting to network with people, I can tell you right now that some of the freelance jobs that I have now and even some I had, you know, back when I first went freelance were because of people I met at events. So it's very good and important to be visible at these events. So I would go to like kind of whatever events were available. Like if there was any near Toronto or in Canada, I would go to those. Yeah. Um, and then eventually I think like I started going to Vegas, um, you know, for like the bigger cards. Cause I was like, you know, I can afford this, whatever. Sure. And, and, and figure it out there. So that's a part I left out. The other part I left out was doing the video interviews. Um, I ended up linking up with a few like PR managers early on people that I was getting on my audio podcast. Okay. I sort of met through um through doing that and then that transitioned into doing video so um so yeah initially when i started doing the video interviews it was all remote so it was all like 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 how we're doing here it was uh it was, it was remote interviews uh, through skype of course and that's um and, and that's sort of what i started doing was just doing video interviews and that's oh, okay. uh that, that's yeah and so i i basically perfected that because and, and the one thing that i kind of got benefited with as well or the one thing that was a benefit was that i wasn't interviewing like huge ufc names back then so my interview sucked <laughs> chances are most people didn't see it right, right. so it's like i was able to sort of work on things and if you go watch my interviews from like I, it's funny it's, you know they did the like the 10 year challenge or whatever I know right. people had that on social media That's right. like I went back and looked at like one of my first interviews like the lighting was off like I was like looking like this into the screen like it's just totally different than what you see here now with like a DSLR camera and a right. lav mic right like back then I was using like a USB mic and like <laughs> the lighting was totally terrible but it's an evolution right like I of always course. was trying to find ways to get better and that's why I'm able I, and I know for a fact that's why I'm able to get work now is because you just see the improvements that I've made over the years no of course and I'm the same way too even when I go back and listen to my earlier interviews with, with some of these guys from MMA or even pro wrestlers I'm like why the hell did I ask them that what was I thinking what was going through my mind and like you said but you need those steps in order to grow and you shouldn't really be ashamed because I wonder how many people could do that off the bat and be like perfect like there's no such thing as uh I guess instant greatness as they say right you got to work towards it unless you're you're someone like Jones or like you know you're physically gifted that way but mentally it's all practice man 
it, it totally is. It's the reps. I always tell people that all the time. I find a lot of people covering the sport right now are very impatient. And they think like, I'm going to oh, do it this full time, like right off the bat. And okay. the thing I was trying to explain to people is you got to lay the foundation for it. You yep. know, you got to get those reps in. you got to build those contacts. You got to, and plus you got to make you. yourself viable to the industry. Like, the way you the way you get hired full time in this industry is you know a couple different ways. Number one is doing what I do, which is getting big interviews, being consistent, finding and, and making good content. People sure. content that people want to watch, which is tough. It's not like an easy thing to do. The second way is to try and break news. That's even oh. tougher now because you see with you know ESPN and all these other yep. outlets that sort of get fed stuff, and then then the UFC also being very reluctant to have news leak as well. That's a tough gig, but that's right. still another way you can do it. The third way is doing something like you know my buddy Robin Black, who does like analyst, you know, yes. being an analyst, someone who watches tape and does that. That's another way to break through and be kind of unique as well. But it's, it's very difficult to find your lane here because there's so many people doing the same stuff. And I always tell people, like, it's great. Like, there's a sort of mentality with people who do interviews where it's like, if I just get that one big interview, I'm going to get noticed. It's like, no. no. If you get an interview with a big-name fighter, chances are someone else, like a Luke Thomas or Ariel Hawani, is probably getting that interview. And people are going to watch that over yours. you got to remember that. So yeah. that's why I always tell people, don't always go for the big fish. Get a variety of fighters and, and find your lane, so to speak. No, I totally get it. Because, again, being a rookie, when I first started, when I got that first big name, and I was like, that's it. I'm going to make it now. And I'm like, yeah. what the hell? I had less listens this week than I did last week with a no-name guy. What's going on here? And then it's like you said, no. There's other people out there who are doing the exact same thing that people actually know and trust. Why should they switch over to me that doesn't know what they're so-called doing? And it's still a rookie, right? Like, you have to wait. Yeah, Like I said, again, a perfect example for podcast reasons. You think Joe Rogan started off with millions and billions of listeners? No, he didn't. Probably yeah. no one even cared to listen to him, right? It's all these repetitions, yeah. and now he is where he is because of that, like you said, right? Yeah, it's the foundation. you got to play the long yes. game. If you want to be successful in anything, you can't. You can't expect, you know, because we're, we're used to everything in our lives being instant, right? Whether I know. it's your phone or anything. And so people are like, oh, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm going to get this right away. And it's like, no, you got to lay the foundation no. down. You know, like it's, you got to, you got to, you got to take your time and you got to make it work. And I try and tell a lot of these young guys that, you know, if you want to get hired full time, it's going to be a bit, it's not going to be something mm. that happens overnight. And, and even right. now, like, like I said, I think I'm the only guy in this industry right now who's doing this full time for mainly video. There's some few writers who do this full time. There's some people, there's lots of people, well, I shouldn't say lots, but there's a good chunk of people that work for one outlet and do it full-time but sure. i think i'm the only guy video wise who's doing this full-time as a freelancer no that's pretty cool well one thing i want to know about again being a journalist and being especially mma okay i know my shit and i'm proud to say that i could hold my own in a conversation right but how do you guys store all this extra tidbits information how do you remember all the fights of all the like ufc events and even people's names because that just blows my mind yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of information to consume, and then not only UFC, like you got to follow everything. That's Bellator, the thing. The international stuff. Yeah. Like I, I've I found a few like hacks as well too that that kind of help me a little bit. So I interview a lot of fighters. I just do retain a lot of knowledge with that. Like if okay. I do an interview, usually I can remember something that had happened. Or I, I honestly I can't tell you how many times I go back on my channel and like rewatch an interview or find something that I missed maybe from years ago. And there's sure. honestly there's times I forget I interview certain fighters just because <laughs> I, that's how like busy I am. Like there was yeah. a guy I interviewed <laughs> that's in the UFC now that I like I actually forgot we did an interview. Interview, oh and I went back God. and looked and I was like oh yeah I did interview him but it's because I just like I have so many that I do but um, I, I'd say yeah just being being immersed in the industry like you know being like like during my whatever hours I work during the day just really being involved making sure that I am aware of the news that's going on yeah. um, I do a, a weekly podcast where I preview all the fights which I mean I'm not an analyst I don't really consider myself an analyst I, mm. I you know and I tell people when I do the show I'm like this these picks are based <laughs> off what I remember from their fight right. and who I've interviewed and little tidbits I've got and I'm just making a guess there like I'm not the 
guy who's in the basement watching <laughs> UFC Fight Pass every day and okay. writing down notes. I don't have time to do that. I have, yeah. a, I, I have a family. I have a life outside this. And, and all sure. the power to the people who do do that. But I'm very transparent about that. That's why I don't okay. make myself as like a tout or a better guy because like literally that's what I do. But the reason I like doing the weekly picks is because then it keeps me, uh, you know, fresh on in terms of like, you know, what, what cards are coming up, what fighters are happening. But yeah, mm. it's, it's tough to keep track. The other thing I do a lot is I don't watch the cards live. I will PVR them because being on the West Coast, you know, sometimes the cards start in like the afternoon at like two right. or three. I mean, I got stuff. To, I got errands to do. I got the lawn. <laughs> I got all these other things to do, right? So sure. a lot of times what I'll do is just PVR it. And then that, that way I can watch it a few hours later. I can skip all the commercials. Yes. What could be like a six hour card is only like a couple hours because I've been able to cut out all the other, like the filler, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that, that's another thing I do. But yeah, it's it can be tough at times, but uh, you just do the best you can. That's what I always tell the people. No, but you got to admit though, you have to love the excuse sometimes because I, again, my wife's probably listening upstairs while we record this. So hopefully she doesn't give me too much shit. Half the time it's like, oh, can we go do this? I'm like, no, no, I'm having a guest on. So I got to watch this. But meanwhile, it's, I just want to watch the MMA event. <laughs> No, same here. And like, I'll usually tell my wife it's like a big fight, but like, I mean, like we had, for example, last week, like I had, I had my parents over, like I, I was like, it's already a Felder. There's only nine fights now. I could probably like just watch it after they leave type thing. Like it was fine. I mean, there's other times when obviously like if there's a fighter I really like, or there's something I'm really gravitated towards. Yeah. I want to watch it live and you get that interaction on Twitter and then that's definitely fun. But I've tried to scale back on that a little bit just because, um, you know, I don't want to miss time with my family. You know, it's, it's important. And I do enough interviews as it is during the week where, you know, sometimes I am working late. I don't want to cut too much my uh, personal time i think true. balance is very key to also surviving this industry because it's very easy to be uh, immersed in this industry 24 7 just with all the news going on right. you know content everything like it's it's tough to keep up but i try and find that balance as best as i can no that's pretty cool okay so you also do a weekly mma q a stream on youtube now what i, I want to know is what are some of the weirdest or dumbest questions anyone has thrown at you there, there must have been a few i mean <laughs> Yeah, no, I get, um, I, the Q&A is mainly just like, you know, people want to know, like, hey, have you heard anything? Or like, what do you think of this oh, fight? Okay. Think this or whatever. It's not really like, uh, like I have done like a media Q&A before where I'll get people like asking me questions. I guess some of the weird stuff I get is, uh, is, is just like the, is I like to call them like the hate followers, the people who just want to uh, watch you and then complain about it. And then sure. they're complaining and they write something stupid and then I get annoyed. It's like, you just, it's this vicious cycle of just like, you know, kind of. <laughs> just negativity and so i try and like if i see someone i can tell if it's a couple comments in the chat and they're just being ridiculous i, I hit that block button because uh, it's like you're smart. ruining it for the rest of other people of if course. we're trying to watch it so i don't really think i get any like outrageous or any weird questions but i do get obviously like trolls coming in and just writing just dumb stuff or saying like yeah just 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 weird stuff like that so. yeah i don't get those people at all that's pretty stupid but you also have another show too with chris cyborg called the catch-up First off, how is it? uh, Normally we record it actually at at, uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time, but uh, Chris is actually uh, running late today, so we're going to be doing it right after I do your show. Uh, But yeah, I'll tell you exactly how that came together because a lot of people ask me. So initially when I got, uh, when I left the score, I uh, I sort of put a, you know, kind of little little bat signal out there on social media saying, hey, look, if people, you know, if there's anyone out there who's looking for any work, this is what I can do. I do video editing. I do interviews. I do everything, right? And so uh, her her team messaged me right away and they said, hey, we're thinking of uh, doing some more like behind the scenes videos. Would you want to do some video editing for us? And I said, absolutely. Like, sign me cool. up. That, that would be awesome. And then, uh, you know, I hadn't heard anything from a while, and I was picking up some other work and this and that. And then uh, and then they interviewed me, or then they uh, sent me another email saying, well, wh- what about doing a weekly show with Chris? And I said, that's even better. Like, I love doing interviews. This would be perfect. So exactly. I, I see it from both sides. It's, it's great. So basically every Tuesday, Chris and I do a show. And we talk about the news and we talk about her and her fights and stuff. And we, we sort of just it's, – it's just basically like a, like a talk show. And right. – um, 
it's great because for Chris, it, it allows her to work on her English, allows her to become more visible. Okay. And for me, it's great because I'm getting access to Chris that a lot of other people don't. So that, you know, if I, I know fight news about her well before everyone else, and it's just been a good fit so far. And, and I like the fact that, uh, you know, we can kind of work together and try and uh, put out a, a different product or whatever. So we do it every week and uh, it's, it's been going great so far. So I've been quite happy with, uh, with that as far as uh, one of the things I've been doing. Well, if you need any Portuguese lessons on the side, me being Portuguese background. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny. We actually, one of the segments we have is a Portuguese phrase of the week. So, oh, is it? Uh, so, yeah, oh, that's was, cool. Yeah, if you watch towards the end, uh, usually uh, we, we do something. So I think last week I did, how do you how do you buy a beer or something? Now, don't, okay. don't ask me what it is. I'd have to go back and watch it. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But, uh, yeah. So what's one thing you found out about Chris that you had you didn't expect or just blew your mind about her? I didn't know she had so many animals. Um, that oh. was one thing that, that – that, like she has a whole Instagram account called the Cyborg Zoo or Cyborg Zoo oh, on wow. Instagram. And okay, she's okay. – uh, yeah, she's really big into you know, owning dogs and, and obviously uh, you know, taking care of animals and stuff. So that was one thing that surprised me. And just – yeah, I think in general that she's just very like – I mean I think a lot of people know this, but she's very giving. She gives back yes, a lot. I mean she's I got a uh, – uh, like a – I think it's like a 5K like run walk that's coming up uh, in a few weeks where she's raising money for, uh, for another fighter who's trying to build like a – a kitchen like overseas or something it's like a it's a whole thing to like raise money and like she's just very um very very much involved in the community and giving back and stuff and i think that's something that's really cool that you don't hear too often with fighters no most definitely okay now you brought it up you had some pretty bad stinker interviews in the past and again not because of the guests but because of yourself so what was the one that stands out the most are you like oh i just wish this never existed well, there was one where a regional fighter, I mean, it's, I, I think I ended up getting rid of it off my channel eventually. Okay. I kept it up for a while, but then I was like, yeah, whatever. But, uh, no, there's a regional fighter who, so I interviewed this one fighter on the Canadian scene, and he was talking a lot of smack about this other fighter, oh, okay. and, um, and you know, whatever, just sort of going along and saying this guy's scared or whatever, and whatever, we did the interview. So I ended up interviewing that guy later on, and... Like, we set up the interview, and everything was fine. It was through, like, his uh, promotion that he was fighting for. And we do the interview, and right off the bat, the first question is, I don't appreciate you talking badly about me, like, in the middle oh, of the interview. And I'm man. like, dude, what are you doing? Like, and I, I like I clarified to him. I said, look, man, like, I didn't say those things. Oh. What a guest says on my show is not not anything to do with Thank me, you. man. It's like, you know, I, I, I'm doing my job here. If someone yeah. says something bad, you take it up with him, but don't try. But it's funny because I posted it, and I said, look, I'm going to be transparent with everyone. This is the interview. I'm not editing it. Mm-hmm. And you guys be the judge. And I had so so many people messaged me being like, that guy was a dick. What was he thinking? Because the, the thing is, like, if this guy had an issue with me, mm. it would be better in his best interest to have to have done it behind the scenes. Like, he could yes. say, hey, look, didn't appreciate it, did the interview, whatever. I mean, I went back and watched it, and I was like, I don't really think I was out of line, but right. uh, that, that was one where the guy got mad. But then, like, the guy to me, the guy that guy mm-hmm. looked worse than I did because it's like he's sure. trying to use me as, like, a target for, like, a, like, a, a, like a dartboard for the guy that he's really mad at. Like, go talk to him if you have a problem, you know? So, yeah, no and that's good. happened a few times where I've had, like I've done interviews where a fighter says something bad and then the, the, you know, whoever gets, you know, upset with me or whatever. And it's like, you know, you can't please everyone. I just, unfortunately, like, you know, if you're, if you're covering a sport, not everything's going to be positive. I try and be as professional as I can with, you know, I don't fight or bash. Or I don't say this guy sucks or whatever. Right. If someone has a bad performance, I'll be honest about it, but I'm not going to, you know, I feel like I'm pretty professional for, for the most part. So, so yeah, that, that was one that definitely stood out, but that was years ago. I think it was like 2017 or something like that. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Cause I had one incident. Cause speaking of uh, that, was my biggest fear getting into this be like oh shit what if i have someone on that someone else hates and then i could never have that person on right but i'm like oh i'm just gonna go with it whatever but it and it happened i reached out to someone they're like no i can't come on your show yet so and so on i was like are you kidding me people actually do that wow yeah. 
That's crazy. Oh, I know. I mean, there's people who hate me because I interview Colby Covington, and it's oh, like, you know, come on. Like, I try. Like, I, I, I'm very transparent about this. Like, and I even say this on my Q and A or my media thing. Like, I don't right. talk politics. If you want to talk politics, there's many shows that you can go check that out and do it. Of course, I, I prefer to just talk about the fights and keep it as it is. Does that make me not journalistic if it's something important? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I brought up the comments uh, to Colby when we did our interview about the Usman thing, and I said, mm. you know, do you regret anything you said or whatever? I forget what I said to him, but like, sure. you know, I'll bring it up. But to me, that shouldn't be the focus. The focus should be on the fighter the fights themselves so no matter what you can't please everyone and that's something i've discovered as i've gone on like you know no matter what like you're gonna get a dislike on your video it's just inevitable it doesn't someone will find something they don't like and and you just you can't take it personally you just have to move on and i always tell people you know because criticism can be tough you know when you're you're in the spotlight um you know uh, I, by the way, I appreciate the kind words about, you know, being behind Ariel and all that. I mean, I, I'll always just think of myself as just, you know, a guy who just loves doing this. I'll never put myself above anyone else. Right. Um, but, but, you know, I have found over the years, especially over the last maybe two years since I've gotten a little bit bigger. Um, yeah, I've definitely got a lot more like hate comments and stuff and that's fine. And it, it's, it's tough sometimes. I usually, how I deal with it is if I can come up with a good joke to respond to them, I'll, I'll do it. But Smart. sometimes you just get some people who are just totally ridiculous, totally like take things out of context. And I always just remind people and I have to remind myself this, that like, look like only take advice and criticism from people you respect otherwise that's Mm. like saying you know why don't i go ask the garbage man who takes out the garbage his opinion on my interviews he has no background why would i listen to him i mean it's the same thing with a youtube comment or someone on twitter like who knows where they're coming from they could be having a bad day and they're taking it out on you so that's another big thing i try and tell people is just you know don't engage like twitter i never put any opinions out there Mm. because it's just a waste of time at least on youtube if you're going on my video at least i'm getting that one view and i'll make a a buck or two off (laughs) of uh, the monetization so that's where i'm a little bit more willing to engage but twitter i never argue with anyone on there it's just a waste of time no that's smart of course so what's your biggest fear interviewing someone or being on live air if something goes array i don't really get i've done so many that like even if something happens like i had a couple weeks ago where youtube changed like their interface and so i thought i was streaming live turns out i wasn't i was about three minutes into my live stream and i realized that oh wait no one can see it and i'm reading the comments and people are like oh i guess he's like late or something And i'm like no no no, i'm here and it turns out youtube had changed their their something had happened like that because i just use the same profile every time and i guess they changed something so it ended up going that i mean that'll happen but even then i didn't feel that bad it's just like this stuff happened so i don't really get like fearful um um, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, this is kind of like a little bit of breaking. Well, I won't be breaking news by the time this airs, but um, I'm, I'm going to be joining a new outlet um, called Fanatics View. Okay. Uh, they're based out of Texas. They do all sports. Uh, I'm going to be joining them this week, and I actually nice. have to do boxing interviews now, and that's something you know I'm not really used to. I don't do a lot of boxing. In oh. fact, I don't do any at all. Okay, um, I okay. follow boxing like on a casual level. I sure. certainly you know know you know that if, like if there's a big highlight or if there's certain fights, I'll, I'll watch. But you know, I got to do a boxing interview tomorrow, and I'll be honest, I was a little nervous doing it because I haven't done one in a while now it's very similar to doing an mma interview it's fine um but but you know I, there's a little bit more nerves with that so to kind of answer That's your question cool. i think what, what what fears me is the unfamiliar right so mm. like you could give me a ufc fighter right now at this very second and as long as i have his topology page up i could talk for 10 20 minutes that's fine right you give me a boxer i might have to i need a little bit more time to prep right and so luckily <laughs> uh you know my boss who is going to be uh, working with me um on this stuff you know he gave me a lot of good notes to work with in the interview and so i'm okay. feeling good about it but still you just never know because it's a whole new sort of realm for me and is doing some boxing stuff so i'm doing i'm going to be doing some mma interviews and some boxing interviews for them but uh i like it i love being challenged i love doing interviews that are tough you know hannah cyphers there's a good example ufc strawway yep. she's t- she does not like doing interviews but oh. i consistently try and interview her because to mm. me i'm going to look better if i can figure out a way to get her to open up and sure. i like that challenge and i think everyone in whatever it is you're doing in any field you should always be challenging yourself because when you get put in that spot where you're a little bit uncomfortable that's tend to where you're going to find growth so 
that's always something I keep in mind. No, that's pretty cool too. So most people know, again, being MMA fans, that Toronto is one of the MMA hot spots around the world, pretty much. You have Toronto, you have Vegas, and then wherever else, right? So do you find it weird that there's not more MMA fighters coming out of Toronto nowadays? I think there are a lot of good MMA fighters in Ontario. I think the lack of shows is a problem. Like, you know, oh. you got to have, because I mean, if you think about it, right, you remember when they first legalized MMA in Ontario and there was like, you know, the Hammer, they did their show. There was a score fighting series back That's in the right. day. There yes. was, um, you know, a lot more options. And then over the years, a lot of that sort of faded away. And from what I heard was that the, you know, commission just had some ridiculous, like, you know, um, sort of mandates. And, and also, I forget the guy who was in charge. It totally escapes my mind right now, the former commissioner. But okay. they just made it very difficult to run local shows here so if you don't mm. have local shows where are fighters going to fight and then you know as that sort of went on you had tko come in in, in montreal and they were yeah. putting on some shows but the last i heard tko is kind of not a thing anymore and now yeah. btc's come back and they're they've been doing consistent shows and they're pretty much the only show in all of ontario which if you think about it that's pretty sad because like you know think how big ontario is there's a lot of you know good gyms over there there's a lot of good fighters but uh but yeah just not a lot of opportunities so actually a lot of the canadians right now that i've been speaking to a lot of them are going down to the states to get fights and, and try and uh, you know keep active so um yeah to answer your question i think a lot of it has to do with the lack of opportunities that are available and i think um as well it's just uh yeah just i, I think in, like even across the board in canada they're just especially now with the pandemic there's like hardly any shows happening so i think that's True. i think there's a lot of good fighters they just haven't been given that opportunity yeah no kidding so what are some of the fight leagues that people should be checking out or some of the up-and-coming stars that are pretty much ufc bound that people are not hearing about so one that I, people well know, he's on Contender Series, he lost last year, is Aaron Jeffrey. I'm very big okay. on this guy. He's from, uh, he trains at Niagara Top Team, um, but he Ooh. also trains a bit of Parabellum in Ontario as well, uh, which I believe that gym closed down, I think. I heard something about that with all the restrictions. Hopefully that's not true. But uh, yeah, Aaron's a guy, he's a middleweight, um, great record. Uh, you know, he, he just won his uh, his LFA debut a few weeks ago, LFA airs on UFC Fight Pass. He's someone to keep an eye out for. I think he's, you know, he's, in my opinion, the best middleweight uh, that, that, that is out there in Canada right now. I think oh, it's only okay. a matter of time before he gets signed so keep an eye out for Aaron Jeffrey as well he's also trained a lot with Elias Theodoro who as you remember was in the UFC uh, another guy is one of his teammates uh, Anthony Romero undefeated kid who was also on contender series won his fight but did not get a contract now Anthony's going to be fighting again for LFA in December 5th so again if you have UFC fight pass make sure you're watching that those are the two that stand out and then I'll give you a name here out in BC that uh, unfortunately uh, you know has had some health issues right now and that's and, and then you know add in the pandemic it's been very difficult but Jamie Siraj so this this guy is a champion uh, for unified he's also a champion for rise fc where i do commentary yeah. jamie has an outstanding record his last loss was to cole smith who as you guys know is in the ufc yeah. uh, jamie is exceptionally talented he's unfortunately got some health issues right now that are keeping him outside the cage and preventing him from training but he's another guy that i think was had he been healthy he would have been either on contender series or maybe even outright signed to the ufc so there's a few guys kind of on the fringe there uh, christian savoie as well as a guy from new brunswick you're going to be seeing fight here very soon for cffc on uh, ufc fight pass uh, coming up here i think it's next week or even this week i can't remember he's fighting for their, their welterweight title which okay. is vacant right now um he's a guy that i think if he gets a win you'll see him in the ufc as well so there's a few names out there that we should be keeping an eye on that i think you will see ufc bound very soon because the ufc needs more canadians there's not many right? and uh it, a, lot, a lot have not been very successful unfortunately are you excited for the ultimate fighter to be coming back I mixed reviews. I think the problem with Tough right now is that you're not getting the best fighters on there because a lot of them right. are kind of like, is it really worth it? Like, you think about when Tough first started, right? Yeah. There was no LFA, there was no RFA, there was no streaming services True. to watch all these local fights. So, the Ultimate Fighter was a great platform. 
But the downside is, as everyone knows, you got to stay in this house with a bunch of crazy maniacs for like a month and your whole lives is ex- exposed and you're not getting paid a whole lot. Yeah, you're getting free food and good training, but you can do that a lot of places. So um, I, I'm excited for it to be back. But, you know, you got Contender Series, you've got LFA, you've got Titan FC, you've got all these other promotions yeah. where fighters are a win or two away from getting in the UFC. Is it really worth it to get the tough contract, especially when, from what I hear, the winners don't even get paid that much. Yeah, they get the six figure contract, but then you're stuck with that for I think it's like six fights or something. Right. So. Um, I, I think I'll probably watch it depending on who the coaches are, but, um, but yeah, it's definitely lost some luster. I think what I would love to see them do again to make it more like, like kind of, you know, make it a little bit more interesting is do another comeback season, get, get some vets in there, oh. get some old names that you haven't heard from in a while sure. and, and bring them back. Uh, they did the, uh, they've done it twice. They did the comeback season with Matt, with Matt Sarah that he ended up winning. Right. Uh, that, that would, that was a fun one. And then they did sort of another one where they had like ex tough guys. Like I remember James Krause was on there mm. and Jesse right. Taylor and a few others. Like I like those better than the prospect one. Cause I think all the best, best prospects, you're already seeing them in LFA and contender yeah. series. So there's really no need to, to have them in a the house. Do you think we'll ever see these MMA athletes getting paid as level as basketball stars and hockey stars in our lifetime? No, no, no I don't think so. No, because the UFC set up a model like the WWE, which uh, is where the brand is always going to be the most important thing. Gotcha. And uh, until that changes, which it won't, because the rich are going to get richer. And look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and be anti-capitalist or whatever. Right. Look, it, the system is what it is. I mean, if, if it wasn't for Dana White and the Fertitas and everyone creating the UFC, we might not even be here talking about fights today, right? It, it's, it's one of those things. So it sucks, but no, I don't think that, I think until someone like a McGregor or someone like huge ends up leaving the UFC and does their own thing, like, you know, McGregor's kind of done it with May, uh, McGregor promotions and doing the whole Mayweather thing. Sure. If a fighter like that can create their own promotion with their own brand, the, the same way boxers do like i don't know if you pay attention right now but canelo alvarez has left his zone so he's kind of this hot commodity right now and he's gonna have suitors coming to him that's how it should be right it shouldn't be about you you should be lucky to fight for the ufc no it should be about you're this good of a fighter people will pay you to watch fight like oscar de la hoya tried to do that with the golden boy thing which you know ended up being like a flop but if it's done properly that that is a possibility of happening but it will only happen if a big name does it so to answer your question no i don't because i think no matter what the money is always going to go to the owners and the fighters are going to continue to get paid not not so great compared to some of the other sports oh that sucks but well speaking of comebacks do you think there should be a seniors mma league <laughs> i think i think people would watch it um i i'm all for like the and by the way like you know I, I am sort of like an old school fan but at the same time like i'll watch a jake paul boxing fight i will oh, I mean, okay. I, I, okay i i i don't mind watching that stuff i think there's definitely a place for it um a seniors league as long as they're like cleared, like, you know, Mike Tyson's doing this exhibition fight with Roy Jones. Yeah. Like, we'll see what this ends up being. I've heard, you know, things that it's, you know, not going to be as physical or whatever, which is understandable. Right. I'd only be for it if, if they're, if they got everything checked out. Cause if you're, you know, if you're 40, if you're Anderson Silva and you're fighting, you know, in your mid forties and you've taken some shots to the head, I do kind of pause a little bit and say, probably not a good idea. Um, so yeah, I like, like for example, like I'd never want to see Chuck Liddell fight again. His chin's yeah. gone. The fact that Tito Ortiz, who does not have knockout power, knocked him out in the very first round, tells you everything you need to know about where Chuck Liddell's yeah. is physically in, in his life. So I do not want to see him. Um, yeah, come back. Um, I, I think, you know, if you got like a, like an ex UFC vet that hasn't taken a lot of damage, like, I don't know. I, I'd be okay with it. But yeah, only if they could get the, the right clearance uh, by, by actual trained doctors, not these guys are getting paid money under the table. So what are your, some of your favorite MMA fighters before you got into the business? 
Well, they still are. I mean, Gegard Mousasi, I've always told people this oh. is still one of my favorites of okay. all time. I just, there's no one like him in the sport. He's a very good fighter. Yeah. He's also very, like, an interesting guy. Like, there's really no one like him personality wise. So he's always someone that I found, like, very interesting. And thankfully, I've been, had the opportunity to interview him a number of times. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you can't watch it anymore, but I did a really cool interview with him last year in LA before the fight with uh, Machida, the rematch for Bellator. Sure. Where we actually played Street Fighter 2 together, which is, oh, like, nice. my favorite video game. I know we'll get into video game talking in a bit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, that was uh, that. That was really really awesome. Uh, getting to do that. That's probably like the, the coolest thing I've done in my career so far. Was getting to play that, and then I also got him to play the original Ninja Turtles on the Nintendo and just get his reaction to how tough that game is. And he started swearing, and it was it was hilarious. Um, so uh, so yeah, that uh, that that was that was really cool. But uh, yeah, so Gegard, obviously George Saint Pierre has to be up there as far as one of one of the all time greats uh, right now. I really like Tatiana Suarez as far as some of the women's fighters. I think she's very talented. Unfortunately, she's dealing with some injuries right now. Okay. Always love watching Israel Adesanya fight. McGregor's obviously on the list. Sure. Um, yeah, there's just certain guys that that and, and girls that I you know I like watching fight. But yeah, Gegard Mousasi, someone I never miss his fights. Uh, Connor, I mean, sort of the usual cast of characters, but it's got to be some high action stuff. That, that's what I like watching. Now, as a journalist, do you like partaking in the whole pound for pound debate? Are you one of those that no, likes or no? I know I'll talk about it if I'm asked it, but <laughs> right. I just think it's very subjective. Because here, here's exactly. something, and, and I... And, and I, um, I've been having this, I've been putting out some videos on my channel, you know, I do these pros reacts or pros picks videos or whatever on my channel where I basically, because I talk to so many fighters, I get their thoughts on a bunch of other stuff. So right, right now the big one I have on there is, is Habib Nurmagomedov the GOAT? Of and course. I only put it on there because everyone's been asking about it. So I figure I'll let the fighters, you know, take the floor, so to speak, and they, they can deal with it. We don't have to discuss it. But I'll mention it here. My issue is, is that, like, I think, like, Habib, absolutely flawless career, not going to debate that. Is he the pound-for-pound best? Is he the GOAT? Is he the greatest of all time? See, that's tough because he only had four title defenses. So are we going to discredit someone like John Jones? I mean, let's forget about the PED stuff with Jones for a second here. Let's forget that didn't even happen. If if we had Jones as a clean fighter and you put his resume against Habib's, I mean, it's tough because Habib was flawless. Jones has had some close fights. People thought Reyes beat him. The Gustafson fight, the first fight was close, right? right? Habib's never really had a fight like that. But on the same token, Jones has way more title defenses than he does. So Mm. are we not going to reward him for those extra, you know, uh, fights? Or are we just going to say, like, you know, who's to say, what if Jones had just retired after beating Shogun and he called it a career? Then then how would you rate it, right? So it's like, I almost, like, feel like it's very tough to, to gauge that because of the fact that you have um, you know, a guy who's fought longer, right, in terms of actual title defenses. I know the records are similar, but if you look at actual title defenses, uh, Jones has a lot more. So that's where things get a little bit sticky. And then the other issue is like, you know, for someone like BJ Penn, for example. Okay, so BJ Penn, yeah. in my opinion, one of the best lightweights of all time that run he had when he was lightweight champion, undeniable, yeah. awesome, awesome fight. They call him one of the pound-for-pound pound best because he beat Matt Hughes and he won the title. I think you could argue that he beat George St. Pierre in their first fight as well. Yeah. The problem with BJ though is there's a lot of fights he lost up the way, up a weight class, right? Yeah. He fought Machida at 205. You know, they give him credit for that. Oh, you got to move up a weight class. Yeah, but he lost a lot of those fights. Like, True. just because you move up a weight class doesn't mean that that should automatically put you in the GOAT conversation if you're not <laughs> winning. So it's like, not that he should be expected to beat a Machida who's uh, a lot bigger than him. Right. But what I'm saying is that I think people put too much stock into that if you move up. It's like when people were giving Anderson Silva credit for moving up and fighting Bonner and James Irvin. Like, those mm. aren't even good fighters. So it's like, <laughs> see, this is where you kind of lose me with the debate a little bit. So. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's very subjective. I, I'm willing to take all opinions on this thing, but uh, but yeah, I think it's it's a very difficult argument to, to come to a conclusion on. Okay, so you brought up boxing and you brought up Tyson and Jones. Honestly, if if this is whatever, not even in their prime, if this goes the way you think it goes in your head, 
aside, if it's light or if it's just a pure exhibition, who do you got? Who do you think is actually going to take this? I mean, you'd have to take Roy Jones, right? Just in terms of activity. Seriously? Doing. Like, okay. Well, because, I mean, I, I think at this point, I mean, Jones has fought a lot more. I'm just going based off activity, right? Like, you, if you look at who fought last, it was definitely Roy Jones, of course. right? And, right. And even, even towards the end of Tyson's career, I mean, he had some some lackluster fights, and, and that's where he ended up, you know, getting into other stuff. Whereas Jones, I mean, he's a commentator, he's involved in the sport, he's still, you know, training a lot from what I hear. I know Tyson looks in phenomenal shape, he looks great, but... I mean, Chuck Liddell looked in great shape when he fought Tito Ortiz. Like, I don't think that really matters. That's I think true. until they step in there and they, they see how they look, um, that, that's going to be the real test. But, yeah, I mean, could Tyson win? Of course. I mean, it's Mike Tyson we're talking about here, one of the scariest athletes of all time. The guy still packs a punch. But, I mean, I would go with Jones just based off, you know, activity. That's what it comes down to for me. That's usually how I look at it. Now, you've also interviewed a bunch of pro wrestlers. Now, in a, a pro- few, a few. Yeah, I've interviewed a few. Yeah. Okay, so are uh, you said it off the bat? You grew up watching the Attitude Era. You're still current with the product, or are you dipping in and out? I'm very casual fan. So I said I was a casual boxing fan. I'm like a casual, casual, casual wrestling fan. Like I kind of know what's going on a little bit. Okay. I kind of pay attention to stuff. Like you know, I follow. Like I used to work for Fightful, and they do a lot of wrestling coverage. So I still follow some of their stuff. Like I know that there's that girl who got released this week. I think for talking about unions or something. I don't know. Like there's stuff like oh, that. That's I know. Right. Selena Vega. Um, and I still watch a lot of the like old programming, like Dark Side of the Ring. I love that documentary yes. series. I've been like I I haven't missed an episode of that, and I that's know. like. That's the type of stuff I love. I love sports documentaries, and I love like learning about the history of like pro wrestling and stuff. That fascinates me. That that will never leave my interest level uh, whatsoever. But um, but yeah, in terms of um, like wrestlers I've interviewed, I think I've only ever interviewed. Okay, so now that I'm thinking about it, the, the biggest one by far, I interviewed Goldberg. That was like, oh okay. Bucket list interview. I got to interview right. him. That, that was cool. And that was just a totally <laughs> random thing that happened that I was able to get an interview with him. And uh, that was when I was working at Flow Combat. But uh, the only other pro wrestler I think I've interviewed, I guess Jake Hager counts, Jack Swagger. Yeah. I interviewed him actually a couple sure. weeks ago, but I've interviewed him a handful of times now. He's an MMA fighter, so I don't think he really counts. But uh, Daniel uh, Pewter, I think is his name. He used to be oh, yes. tough enough. That's right. Interviewed him like ages ago, so he's another one I've interviewed. But I think that's it. I don't think I've interviewed any other pro wrestlers outside of that. Um, and because a lot of what I do is MMA interviews. Right now, if there was no MMA at all, would you be into uh, being a pro wrestler interview? Maybe, yeah, yeah. I think it would be. It, it seems like there's a lot going on in that industry, so I'd have to really devote all my time to watching SmackDown and NXT that's and all these too. other things. So that would be do- tough. Um, but I, yeah, I'd probably do that, or I'd probably get into boxing or kickboxing or whatever else. Yeah, if you got rid of all of MMA, then yeah, I probably would get into boxing or some, or maybe maybe I'd go back to hockey. I don't know. I, I'd, I'd have to think about it. Okay, well, you mentioned it too. You, you have all these hats. You are your editor, you're an interviewer, you're a writer, all this stuff. If you could only choose one for the rest of your life and it paid all the bills, which one would it be? Interviewing, hundred percent. Really? Okay. Yeah, I love interviewing the most out of anything because my personality comes out. I get to, I get to, I get to, I get, to, I get paid all day to, to get to talk to people. I mean, that's cool for me. You know, I get that's to meet, meet all these different people, learn about them, get to have fun, crack some jokes. Like, who wouldn't want to do that? It's like you know, especially in this day and age with COVID and everyone not being able to see people. Like, I, it hasn't really impacted me that much because I mean, I, in real life, I don't see a lot of people. I see my grandparents, I see my parents, uh, my wife, my kid, all that stuff, my cat. That's about <laughs> it as far as uh, you know. It's, it's my social circle here. I have a few friends here that. I that I, that I get in touch with and, you know, go for drinks right now. I can't with the COVID restrictions, right, but course. I talk to a lot of people on a regular basis, you know, virtually. So, cause that's part of my job. So for me, that's pretty good. Now I'll, I'll mention this as like a con, like sort of a second choice, uh, video editing. I hate writing. Like if I didn't have to write, oh, I wouldn't write at all. Okay, um, okay. I would just do video editing and, um, 
uh, and, and interviews, but I love, I love video editing. That's, that's still like a huge passion of mine. And, um, like, like outside of interviewing gigs, uh, editing gigs are probably my favorite. I have a couple editing gigs right now. Um, well, line movement, one of the companies I work for, I do interviews for them. I also do like a lot of their social clips. I work on their NHL show. I work on their NFL show. I get nice. social clips for that, that, that go online as well. And then I don't know if a lot of people know this. I've mentioned this on my podcast before, but I edit, um, Julian Marquez's podcast with, uh, adult film, great, uh, Kendra Lust. Oh, I do their okay. podcast every week. Sure. So I, I edit that. I actually just did that today before I, uh, before I came on, uh, they just dropped the, the latest episode. So I edit that for the, for them uh, again. And the connection there is I've known Julian forever. Right. I interviewed him back when he was on the regional scene and we just sort of always kept in touch. And I know he had mentioned that he was looking for someone to, to sort of, you know, help make the, the podcast look a little bit more presentable and stuff. And so, yeah, they send me the footage every week and I edit it and I do it for them and they pay me. So it's, that's another uh, gig I have going on. Okay. Before we get to the word story of the week, let's talk some video games, my friend. Oh, let's do it. I love it. So I'll just mention this right up okay. the top. I don't know if you know my level of interest. Sure. Retro gaming is like a huge passion of mine. Um, okay. I have, uh, you know, don't want to get in any, any trouble here, but I have a few systems that I use that have a lot of the old classic games on them. Actually, sure. behind me, you can't see it, uh, but I have an arcade one-up. Uh, oh, machine which that one? I actually modded that has okay. like all the all the games on it, like all the old ah. school. Like it's got like ten thousand games in there: Nintendo, Sega, Atari, arcade, the entire collection, all that stuff. Here, don't don't come and hunt me down, uh, copyright people. But <laughs> yeah, I have that there. Uh, I love playing the classics. Um, yeah, I just I, I I at least a couple times a week I will dig into that stuff. I'm not much of a newer gamer. Like the newest oh. stuff I have is like I have a Switch. Right. I'll play like. You know, like I play like Mario Kart with my son or I'll play like sure. Super Mario Galaxy and stuff. But that's about it as far as new stuff. But it's all retro stuff. Like you mentioned NBA Jam. I have read that book. Uh, Reagan, who wrote it. Um, Reagan, I, I've, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, he, uh, I've read the book. I'm all into that stuff. I've read Console Wars. I love all that stuff that's right. like, you know, the history of video games. They had that great documentary series on Netflix recently. I'm sure you've seen it with uh, going through all the old video games. They had an entire episode dedicated to Street Fighter 2, which is like my favorite game of all time. So, like, that was like really cool. But yeah, retro gaming is like a huge thing for me. And that's actually something I did a lot with fighters when I would be on the road is I would just play video games with them and we'd just do an interview. And we play like, you know, there, there's, a, there's, there's footage on my channel. I think if you find it, um, you know, I played with. With, um, I'm trying to think of UFC fighters I played with uh, Calvin Cater I played with him I okay. uh, did a couple games Gerald Mershart we played Mario Kart together uh, last year <laughs> nice. um, there's a few where I've done like like I said Gegard Musasi played some games with him as well so uh, yeah just wanted to mention that off the top that I'm a huge retro gamer and any of that stuff I'm totally into so. don't worry so am I whenever I'm playing a recent game because I'm up to, to the current stuff too except for PS5 and the new Xbox I'm, I'm going to wait a yeah. year I usually wait for the second generation of that console because there's so many bugs in the first cool. ones so exactly. unless they want to give me one for free. So Sony, if you're listening, you could always send one my way. I, I won't complain. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like you. I, I love retro. I'm always playing a recent game and a retro game. Always at the same time. Like, you know what same I mean? Here. And so I what go, are you playing right now? I'm right now, I'm in the middle. I'm almost done Super Mario Sunshine, actually. Oh, actually, I've never played that. And I know they have it now for the Switch with that Mario 3D package. Yes. So that, I'm, I, I was kind of telling my relatives, I was like, hey, you know, this would be good for my son, but really I want to play it, obviously. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, 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 that's the only Mario game I haven't played. I played all the rest of them. I'll tell you what I'm playing oh, right okay. now. So right now it. it's a mix of um, I'm playing Mario Kart with my son. And then I've been, I went back and I started going through the adventure mode on Diddy Kong Racing on the N64. Oh. And I never beat the game as a kid. And yeah. I thought I beat the game. And then I realized there's the mirror mode. And I was like, oh, yeah. shoot. So I got to go back and redo it so i'm on like the silver coin challenge i think in the first world on the mirror level so i got a lot of work to do it's very tough but i will say this in diddy kong racing i'm sure you played it yeah i did get tiktok um not tiktok or t- whatever the clock character i got right. him because he's the fastest right, right. so i beat all the time trials so it's way easier doing the missions now with him 
Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, the thing as an add-on now, because I don't, I, I remember clearing some of the original Mario's, but I'm like, you know what? I want to clear all the Mario's start from finish. So I started, I did Mario 1, 2, 3, all the way up to the ladder. And then luckily this 3D one came out. So I grabbed that. The one I hate the most, I, I said it on the podcast plenty of times, is Super Mario 64. Just because of the camera and the controls. I, I don't know, man. That game is so shitty. It's so revered for people, but going back and playing it for the first time, no good. So that's what I'm doing as an add-on. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Because I thought I actually cleared Super Mario 2, and I never ended up clearing it because I didn't know the whole, again, spoiler alert, sorry if no one's cleared it. It's, a, it's all a dream in Mario's head, the whole game. And then you know the history behind that, right? That they that, that yes. what happened with that. Um, I'm sure you've read is that it was they they released what was Super Mario: The Lost World in the yep. U.S. and it was too hard, and they're like, uh, we can't sell this because like no one's going to play it because it's so difficult. So they just took that whatever the Japanese game I forget the name of it, but uh, they they just remade it with Mario characters. That's why Mario Two looks so different from everything else because they literally just mapped it over an old game, which I think is hilarious. And I actually have that game. Uh, in my collection, I, I played it the other day. It's called like Yuki something. I forget the name of it. See, that's a perfect segue too, because on a future episode I have lined up, I have uh, the writer from Boss Fight Books who wrote Super Mario Brothers three, and she touches on that, saying that Mario two was supposed to be its own game, it was supposed to be sort of like an Egyptian game, but then they just incorporated the Mario characters into it instead. So yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. And see, like none of the like I don't think anyone cued in at least I didn't as a kid that like none of the no! characters have anything to do with Mario, right? right? Like, no Goombas, no uh, you know like like nothing. Like you have this lizard at the end. It's like, what the heck? So that's pretty funny. And yeah, go check out an old episode too. I've, I had Rayon Leon and just the way he went into that book, like you read it. And that was what got me into boss fight books. So if you enjoyed that book, you should go check out their website. I they literally, got when you said that stuff. at the top, I was like, I got to check that out. Cause like, especially like Christmas, I love, uh, I love reading up on the history of that stuff. That NBA jam book was unbelievable. Like I didn't even yes. put two and two together that like NFL blitz was the same thing. Like, of course right. it is. It makes sense if you think about it now, but it's like, I remember back then being like, like yeah i didn't even realize that so and then even the tidbits about mortal Kombat being out at the same time in that whole arcade era like i loved it because me i'm sorry that was my era too man like right? i used to, i remember like that like i missed that where like you'd go to like a you know like a 7-eleven and there'd be an arcade there you like i remember there's a water park here where i live in town that that was that was my like introduction to street fighter was i remember that being on and i was the kid i remember that like i didn't have a lot of money so i would sit there and watch the demo screen for like 20 minutes just because i thought it was so cool here's this game that I, that I can't that I can't play right, and now that's, that's what hilarious. I love is that I can go back and play all these, right. and you know I don't have to pay any money. It's great. No, that's so. But I'm sorry, I have to disagree though. I'm not a huge Street Fighter fan. I'm more of a Mortal Kombat fan. Fair enough. I, I've, I've had this debate with a lot of people. For me, okay. the nostalgic of Street Fighter Two is why I think I like it so much, and the fact that they've got like kind of the cool moves as well. That like you know they're very like set. Like I find if you go play Mortal Kombat now, the original, it doesn't hold up as much as Street Fighter in my opinion. But again, it could be a little bit biased. That's well. Again, I've said it on the on the pre- previous episodes that what lured me in was the gore and the fatalities. To me, as of course, a I remember as a kid, kid being like, "Don't buy Mortal Kombat. It's too violent." I remember that being in elementary school and then being like, you, you can't buy this game. And of course, like one kid on the block would have it. And you'd be like, oh, look at all the blood. You know, it was great. Yeah, no kidding. And well, speaking of Street Fighter, you should go back and listen to my last week's episode because I have the person who actually voices uh, Ryu in, in Street Fighter. So. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely. Listen, yeah, is, <laughs> we, we, we were meant to come together here. Trust me. It was, it's, uh, it's all the universe, uh, you know, hooking me up with some good stuff here. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you were, you ready for the word story of the week? Let's do it. Let's hear it. Okay, well. Obviously, everyone's gotten a haircut throughout their lives, I would assume. Now, being in lockdown at the beginning, a lot of people weren't getting haircuts. So they were relying on their spouses, their friends, whatever which way. Me, myself, I have a shaved head. So luckily now it's a little bit growing. That's why I'm wearing a hat. Uh, I didn't want to scare you too much. But I I shave my own head. So I have no problems. 
But have you ever had someone that you know, or even like your mom as a kid, cut your hair weird or anything happen weird to, to a haircut of yours? Of course, yeah. I had an ex-girlfriend of mine who, uh, there was a period where I was just like, when I was living in Ottawa and I was going to school, like it was okay. really, there wasn't like a good haircut place near me and I was just like, and I was always like kind of shaving my head. Anyways, I was like, I kind of got it, I bought a pair of clippers and I was like, I kind of got it down. I was like, okay, I'll do two on the side and then I'll just kind of shave my head on the top and it'll it'll look okay. It'll be fine. Well, anyways, um, I, I had uh, I had this girl I was seeing at the time and she uh, she, I asked her to cut my hair. And I told her to put the, and I said, you know, put the number two on. And I said, okay, I just want you to, um, just want you to trim, like we'd finished the haircut or whatever. And I yeah, just yeah. want you to trim like the, you know, the back, like where you use like the, you know, the fine razor to just make it even on the back. Well, she misinterpreted what I said and she actually oh, shaved no. the back. <gasps> so of course, like it's bald back here. So I had to shave my whole head. Oh, no. <laughs> that's so, hilarious. Yeah, never again, never again. But that's not why we didn't work out. But yeah, just, uh, <laughs> that was, uh, that was uh, that was not good. I remember I was going to college at the time. My prof's like, "Why did you shave your head?" And I said, eh, "It was just it was, it was a mishap." <laughs> well, you see, at least as men, we have that option of shaving in our our heads and not looking like freaks, right? Not not yeah. to put down any women who shave their heads because there's some women who can actually no. pull it off. Nate O'Connor, you know, there's a few that pulled out. GI Jane back in the day, she pulled it off. Yeah, that's true too. So today's word story comes all the way from jolly old England. So there's a woman in lockdown. Uh, it didn't say when this happened, so I'm assuming it's when the stricter lockdown, or maybe even now, because now it's getting bad again, so the, the more strict heart lockdowns are coming back, right? But this woman needed her hair to be done. Most specifically, a highlight touch-up and some extensions added on. So she asked a friend who is a former hairdresser herself to come on over and see if she could do it for her. No problem. She said, I'll come on by. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll make it a night. I'll do your hair. We'll have a good time. No problem. So, well, first off, it starts making this weird. It took this woman about four hours to accomplish her task. Now, I'm no professional, and I know some women take a while at the hairdresser, but I think four hours is a little bit, no pun intended, yeah. excessive. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that seems like a little too extended to me. <laughs> so, here's why. First off, she decided to wash her own hair, too, while she washed the other woman's hair. I don't know. Don't ask me why. Maybe she wanted to use her water, whatever. But here's the thing. She was caught drinking her friend's gin throughout the whole night. So she had about six to eight glasses of gin. Okay. Now, once this woman finished, and I guess she, it's in her house, so she doesn't have the double mirror, so she can't see what's going on, so she just trusted her friend. Now, when she was done, she said, in her own words, this is the worst hair, she didn't even know what to describe it, worst, I guess, faux pas ever in the history of hairdressing. And she even had the balls to post it on social media and everyone agreed. They were like, this is pure 2020 shit. Like, this is what happens in 2020. That's how bad her haircut was. And then, the, again, the internet trolls were putting her down. And you know how it is, right? Once one person starts in an avalanche. So she was so distraught. At 2 in the morning, she couldn't even sleep anymore. So she called another friend who actually owns a hair. Again, I don't know why this person knows so many hairdressers. But again, that's another story too. So she calls her friend. At two in the morning, saying it's an emergency, emergency, can't sleep, crying. She's like, okay, don't worry. Luckily, she, I don't know, she was probably above the shop or whatever. She said, come on down, I'll fix it. When she got there, yes, that hairdresser agreed as well. Now, she ended up paying her friend originally, but then asked her friend for the money back. Guess what the friend said? Oh, don't worry, I'll come by and fix it for you. Seriously? <laughs> Would you trust her to come back to fix this? No. <laughs> That's crazy. So she wanted that even to take her to court and everything. It was a whole thing. In the end, she ended up paying back. I think it was like 30 pounds or something. But that's not the worst part. Here's the kicker. When the other hairdresser, the proper hairdresser, was trying to fix her hair and taking out the extensions and everything, she ended up finding a needle in the extensions. Like a natural syringe needle. 
Where did this other woman get these extensions? Off some crack it off the street or something? Well, right? I don't know. So the moral of the story is don't let your friends cut your hair or do anything I'd to your hair. I'd say so, yeah. That's, that's crazy. Uh, right? Now imagine if this yeah. woman actually went to sleep and punctured herself or God knows what's in those syringes. It didn't say if it was used or not, so I'm assuming it probably wasn't. You know how, again, being part of media, people blow up stories and stuff, so who knows? But still, come on, man. Like, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's probably the worst hair story I've ever heard. I mean, syringe, that's, that's not something you hear. See, yeah. but the reason why I bring this up, because I love to go on my rant sometimes, and this is, again, 2020, everyone thinks they could do everything. You know how many people yes, I know yeah. who could just pick, oh, no, I know how to do that. And then they get there and then they're like, what am I doing? It's like, then why did you say you know how to do it? Yeah, no, I know people are a little too overconfident, I guess, in, in our day and age, right? So. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, James, thanks you for your time. Plug your stuff away. Do all your fun stuff where people can find you, where people can catch you. First off, thanks for having me on. This is a lot of fun. I don't get to do interviews like this too often, so it was cool to kind of talk about some other stuff outside of fighting, which uh, you touched on a lot of my interests. So I really appreciate that. Uh, the best way to get a hold of me, Twitter, Instagram, at Lynch on Sports, L-Y-N-C-H. Uh, that's the easiest way to, to get a hold of me. I'm on there all the time. Uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lynch on Sports. I work for a bunch of different outlets. That's how I do this full time, but I put all my interviews on playlists, so they're easy to find. Uh, that way you're not having to look on my Twitter feed and see when I posted something or whatever. Um, yeah, and just, yeah. Big thanks for having me on, man. It's a lot of fun. Not a problem. For myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast DAP. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast DAP at gmail.com. Rewind to the top of the show because if you support those fine sponsors, it helps me out as well. And if you want to help me out directly, I do have a Public store. Go to tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device you're listening to. It's embedded right there in today's description. Click on the link. It takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to mugs to onesies to even covid masks i got it all yes i am a merch whore as they call it so please support the cause and obviously the most important rate subscribe review on all major platforms all right i want to drop okay i want to do a thing with you here before i end off sure i'm gonna have a huge guest coming up this is i believe this is the 197th episode so my 200th is coming up and i want to announce it here today so i'm gonna give you three clues and let's see if you could guess it okay fair okay so first clue he, he is or was a mixed martial artist and a professional wrestler. Okay. He is a UFC Hall of Famer. Okay. And he has won titles in both pro wrestling and in MMA. Ken Shamrock? No. But same thing. Same era. Um, Brock Lesnar? No, okay, come on, please. Who's okay, Brock so, Lesnar yeah, yeah, talking yeah, no, no, to? Same era. Well, that was, that was close. That was close there. Well, it's not. Uh, it's it's not. Um, There's not that many. We already said Dan Severn. It's it's not Dan Severn. Yes, it is. Um, it's Dan. There it is, Dan Severn. Okay. Well, I, I thought because you already told me that, so that's why I was I was getting. I thought about it might have been someone else. See, come on. You, I told you this off air. You're supposed to roll oh, with the. Shoot. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know I was supposed to play along. I, that, was, that was my bad on that one. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's Dan DeB Severin. He is my 200th guest, so please go listen to that once it drops. It's a very informative interview. He do, he's one of those guys who doesn't do a lot, so even if you do your research, you'll find a few, but probably like 10 or 15 minutes of him. I had almost a full hour and a half with this man. His knowledge, his old school thinking. I'll drop one tidbit here. It's crazy. Can you believe this man has a, had over 90 wins, as you, as you know, right? There's only three other people... I mean, two other people besides him who have had over 90 wins, and he's beat them both as well. So I guess you could say that he is sort of 
a goat, so to speak. Now, yeah. guess how many fight camps this man has had over his career? Zero. One or two. Isn't yeah. that unbelievable? No, I know. I know. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Wow. That's... One last question before I let you go, my friend. Sure. Bucket list interview left. Nick Diaz. Really? Okay, that's a good one. Just because it's challenging. I think it would be tough to interview a Nick Diaz. And, and mm. I, I, I'd be open to the challenge of it. Perfect. Well, on that note, he's James. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.